It's the show the establishment warned you about. That's right. Welcome back. It's the Dr. Tommy Show, broadcasting from the free state of Florida from Echelon Health Studios. We're glad you're here. If you are in the area and you're looking to join a concierge medicine practice, be sure to come by and give us a give us a visit. Also, be sure to come by before the end of the year because we're rapidly closing in on our probably going to be uh, final members joining because we're getting too busy. So just stop, keep that in mind. If you're thinking about it, you're in the area, don't put it off too long because once we get to where we have enough members to keep both Tracy and I busy without any other employees, we're closing off the uh, memberships. Anyway, we've got a lot of different things to cover today, including uh, the Bidens and also some stuff about Hollywood and pedophiles and how they seem to love pedophiles and hate people who don't like pedophiles. And uh, talk about this this, um, paper that was produced by all of these scientists debunking this idea that the COVID virus came from a lab leak. So... Starting off with the Bidens, this is Joe Biden, uh, our president, you're an I president. This is uh, him claiming uh, that he cured cancer, and uh, you'll have to see it to believe it. Here he goes. So Joe Biden, here we go. If you could do anything at all, Joe, what would you do? I said I'd cure cancer. They looked at me like, why cancer? Because no one thinks we can. That's why, and we can we end the cancer as we know it. And uh, he said that they did do it. He said that we can and we did do it. And so I just want to give a little update on the Biden Cancer Initiative. This was from 2020. This is actually from New York Post. And this came out, like I said, a couple of years ago when Biden first took office. But you all remember Bo Biden was the son of Hunter, or I'm sorry, son of Joe Biden and brother of Hunter Biden. And he died of cancer, brain cancer, unfortunately. And then after that happened, then the Bidens set up what's called the uh, Cancer Initiative, the Bo, um, Bo Biden Cancer Initiative or Bo Biden Foundation. It says here, uh, tax filings reveal Biden cancer charity spent millions on salaries, zero on research. And so Joe Biden claimed last, what was this, just recently that he cured cancer. And here's what the reality is. It says a cancer charity started by Joe Biden gave out no money to research and spent most of its contributions on staff salaries. Federal filings show the Biden Cancer Initiative was founded in 2017 by the former vice president and his wife, Jill Biden, to develop and drive implementation of solutions to accelerate progress in cancer prevention, detection, diagnosis, research and care to reduce disparities in cancer outcomes. It couldn't have been written better by an A.I. bot. Uh, according to its IRS mission statement, but it gave no grants in its first two years and spent millions on the salaries of former Washington, D.C. aides it hired. So this was the cancer moonshot that they made a big deal about after Bo Biden uh, was deceased and they were going to name it after Bo and it was going to be in, in um, it was going to be in, in memory of Bo Biden. And it looks like they spent nothing on research. It says the charity took in. Uh, $4,809,000 in contributions in fiscal years 2017 and 2018 and spent $3 million uh, on payroll in those two years. The group's president, Gregory Simon, raked in $429 million in fiscal year 2018, according to the charity's most recent federal filings. 
It says Simon, a former Pfizer executive, longtime healthcare lobbyist who headed up the White House's cancer task force in the President Obama administration, saw a salary nearly double from 224000 he made in fiscal year 2017. It says the charity spent $56,000 on conferences, $59,000 on travel. This is in 2018. The following year, the travel expenditure swelled to $97,000, and nonprofit spent $742,000 on conferences. But under grants distributed, it listed zero. Simon had said the main point of the charity was not to give out grants, but its goal was to find ways to accelerate treatment for all, regardless of their economic or cultural backgrounds. It says, after only two years, the charity, quote, paused its interruptions when Joe Biden and his wife stepped down for his presidential run. Although the organization is still officially active, according to the IRS, this was in 2020, so who knows if it is now. Simon said in 2019 interview that without the Bidens at the helm, the charity lost its edge. We tried to power through, but it became increasingly difficult to get the traction we need to complete our mission or, or even start the mission. That was generous to say to complete the mission. This is a part of the Biden grift. You know, it makes more sense in the world, more, more, most sense in the world now when you see what the Bidens were up to with the Ukraine and uh, Chinese getting payments through a shell company set up by the uh, son of Joe Biden, Hunter. It makes perfect sense now why they were making all this money, peddling influence, it would seem. Because look at this cancer initiative. I mean, you name a, a cancer, I think they called it the Bo Biden Foundation, after your son who died of cancer, and yet you use it as a grift. That is the ultimate uh, disgrace to, to, your son's, to your son's memory, is to, to use his name to raise money so you can basically spend it on conferences and travel, probably a money laundering operation, and spent $0 on research, on grants. Simon said the main point of the charity was not to give out grants. Of course, it was not the main point. It was no point at all, apparently. It better off saying Simon said there was no uh, point of giving out grants. The charity was there had no inclination to give out grants. Joe Biden has a... Uh, or Hunter Biden just had his uh, plea bargain. I guess they would, they did away with a plea bargain. I guess the the prosecutors and the defense didn't get their ducks in a row before they uh, got his uh, sweetheart deal sealed, and so they have to come back later and do another sweetheart deal. They're playing this off as this was some type of, uh, you know, was it justice being done and maybe I think it was basically they screwed up. I think the, the prosecutors and defense had worked out a sweetheart deal and they just didn't get all of their T's and uh, crossed and their I's dotted and they have to come back now with a better sweetheart deal. I don't think this was anything to do with the judge laying down the law or anybody else uh, doing anything other than, like I said, I think the prosecutor screwed up and the defense screwed up and they didn't get the deal done the right way. And the judge like pointed out, uh, do you want him to have immunity from FARA violations? And the prosecutor's like, uh, no. Not that the prosecutors are going to bring him up on FARA violations. FARA violations only apply to Republicans, particularly uh, people who are linked to uh, Donald Trump. This is uh, Hunter Biden's uh, lawyer. This is him recently when Hunter Biden went to go visit him, smoking from a bong on the... Uh, I guess his, in his California California home there. 
This is his book. It says Kevin Morris was spotted smoking from a bong outside his Los Angeles home Thursday as Hunter Biden paid him a visit. I guess when Hunter Biden shows up, you're like, good Lord, here, this guy got to go hit the bong first. And there's Hunter Biden showing up. But yeah, Hunter Biden was supposed to get this sweetheart deal. And I'm sure the sweetheart deal is still on. It's just that we have not, or the, the, the prosecutors and the de- defense didn't get on the same page. But here's this guy, Kevin Morris, hitting the bong right before he, or during his meeting with Hunter. Now, Hunter's got this new thing, apparently, where I read that he cannot consume alcohol, I think it is, and nor can he uh, indulge in drugs. Uh, and he has to get a job. So those are three things that 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 does make me think maybe there is something to this, people saying that the judge is laying down the law. I don't know. The idea of Hunter not not uh, doing drugs and not drinking alcohol and getting a job is, or else he's going to have somehow face repercussions to me is shocking. I don't know if that's going to hold out <clears throat> for sure, but apparently that's what the the deal said. Uh, Jason Aldean has been under trouble in trouble recently because he has a song out, and it's about uh, basically you can't get away with the stuff you do in those big cities where you're burning down businesses and and trashing people, you can't get away with that in a small town. And of course the left hates it because it is a a racist, racist charge because they're showing people rioting and it's mostly white people rioting apparently in the video, but either way it's uh, per the left rioting is equivalent with criticizing black people. Uh, Again, that's per the left. And so uh, this uh, video that he has has been, Pulled by CMT, and as always happens recently, whenever the left has um, tried to blacklist something or um, try to make people not do something, uh, it is taking off, such as the sound of freedom. But here it is. It says, Woke fail. Jason Aldean's tried that in a small town. Sales and music explode after a backlash. The music video for Jason Aldean's country song, Try That in a Small Town, has become a massive hit in the wake of a woke backlash that accused the song of evoking racism. And they said he was standing in front of a courthouse that apparently a a lynching took place in at some point in time. And according to the left, that is why he took why he chose that place, because um, they wanted he wanted to, I guess, celebrate lynching because, you know, Jason Aldean's pro lynching, apparently per the left. But this is from The Federalist. It says, the real reason the regime hates Jason Aldean's new song. And this is from Evita Duffy Alfonso. And she writes, "Uh, on Monday, country music television confirmed it stopped airing Jason Aldean's newly released music video for his hit song, Try That in a Small Town. According to CMT and virtually every corporate media outlet, Jason Aldean's song is wildly racist and, quote, pro-lynching. This is a curious accusation given the song makes no reference to race at all. Instead, it's a rebuke of the left's 2020 summer of rage that ironically torched and looted countless black neighborhoods and businesses. It's also a condemnation of the, quote, defund the police activist and Soros-installed DAs who refuse to prosecute violent criminals in the lawless blue cities. Something else that happens to have a, something else that happens to have an outsized negative effect on minorities and low-income individuals. So, yeah, like she says here, you know, these riots and uh, the DAs not prosecuting people has an outsized effect on these minority communities because they live in the places where DAs uh, having 
uh, not per- prosecuting criminals has a, a, a bigger effect than if they, you know, DAs don't prosecute stuff in California, for instance. Uh, it doesn't really affect Nancy Pelosi that much, but it does affect the people who live in the in the urban cities. Uh, in his music video, Aldine flashes powerful images of mostly white people committing crimes, screaming in the faces of stoic cops and lighting cities on fire. To all these urban looters and rioters, Aldine has a message. Try uh, that shit may fly in the city. Good luck trying that in a small town. In other words, Aldine's song is an assertion that rural Americans can and will defend themselves if faced with the same leftist political violence and chaos that has been unleashed on the metropolises. For the new woke world order to exist, the left needs the citizenry and particularly men to be neutered, hence why they label masculinity toxic. So this uh, article is is directly correct in saying that the reason that Aldine's message is uh, or, or song is being attacked is not because of its racism, but it's because it basically sticks a dagger in the heart of the leftist belief that the urban cities are the cities of virtue or the, where the leftist virtues and uh, the leftist rule has, is, is what is, is going to make this country strong. They're, they're the ones who believe in the, you know, the, the cities hold, hold all of the, uh, the, the virtue. And if you, if we could only remake the cities and get rid of the uh, rednecks and uh, hillbillies that live in the rural areas, we could really actually have this Marxist utopia that we all need. Um, we see the same thing happening in Florida. They talk about when Governor DeSantis did this anti-riot law. There was this law, and I think it's been challenged now by a, a court saying that it's, I think it says it, it infringes on people's rights. But anyway, there was this law that was passed here, and the law says basically you are not to be, um, if if you are in a, uh, if you're in a situation where your your car is being surrounded by a bunch of rioters, that if you try to get out of the situation, you're not to be held liable uh, for hurting those individuals. And also, it makes it illegal to surround a car. So that's the main thing that they hate is that you can't, it doesn't say you can't protest. It says you can't protest and infringe upon other people's freedoms while you protest. So in the mind of the left, whenever they want to protest something like we had here in Florida during the COVID riots, or no, what was it during? No, it was the George Floyd riots. When we had our own George Floyd riots down here in Florida, in Tampa, we have a mayor called Mayor Castor, Jane Castor. She was the first lesbian mayor, we were told. That was important. And uh, anyway, she was down there rioting with the rioters. She wasn't rioting. She was marching with the people who later rioted. So she was down there amongst the rioters walking in the streets. And uh, she was a protester at that point, not a rioter yet. And they weren't rioting yet. They were protesting, but they later became rioters. But anyway, she's down there walking amongst the protesters, but they're walking in the street. And so if you happen to be driving through there at that time, you were going to be stuck in traffic, essentially. So not only were you inconvenienced by being stuck in traffic later on when they actually had the riots, they have may they may very well have tried to pull a Reginald Denny on you, where they would pull you from your car and try to beat you to death, as they did a Reginald Denny during the L.A. riots. If you don't remember that, uh, Reginald Denny was a trucker who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and sure enough, there was a the riots, uh, L.A. riots, and I think this was in the aftermath of a, a peaceful uh, uh, driver um, who was pulled from his car and uh, accosted by the L.A. Police Department and. Um, 
and then the 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 riots took place and and um Reginald Denny was pulled from his truck and had uh, a brick smashed into his head and took a big chunk out of his skull. Anyway, so that's what could have happened to you if you're in Tampa at that point. And uh, if you were in the if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and the people decided that they were going to protest in the streets and then maybe start later on rioting in the streets, if you were in a car at that point, well, I hope you have your I hope you're I hope you're armed because they very well may try to pull you out of your car and beat you to death. Well, then. Governor DeSantis passed a, or their legislature passed a law, and Governor DeSantis signed it saying it's illegal to do that. It's illegal to block traffic when you're protesting. And, this, and if you uh, try to get out of there, they're not going to hold you liable for basically any type of damage you do because you're fear for your life. Well, that's the kind of thing that the left doesn't like. They don't like uh, people in small cities doing things like that. You're supposed to basically, you know, you're, you're supposed to just grin and bear it. And uh, it, it's it's part and parcel of what it takes to live in a big city. Uh, you have to you have to be able to uh, just take take your medicine. And this uh, song says, "Try that in a small town," and they're not going to allow that. It says uh, this is back from the article. It says tangential to the left's hatred of men strong enough to resist left wing crime crime and political violence is their hatred of rural America. Try that in a small town is not just a repudiation of big city values. It's a celebration of small town values. Try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Around here, we take care of our own, sings Aldine. Rural America is by every metric freer than urban America. Small town Americans are free to exercise their full Second Amendment rights. The left hates that. They can resist the extreme regulations and laws of big city governments. That is true. This is particularly true during COVID. Yes, it was and are far less susceptible to the woke mind virus infecting cosmopolitan schools, business, and governance. Communities are also far stronger far, far stronger in rural America than in urban America. It says, A song that praises the liberties enjoyed by small towns with strong communal ties is deeply troublesome to the left. They prefer the citizenry to be disconnected, feeble, both, both physically and mentally, and obedient. Meanwhile, their violence, which raises history and civilization, has a purpose and enriches corporate corrupt leaders who want to totally totally transform our democratic republic into a racially equitable neo-marxist hellscape. That's that's exactly right. And so that's the main reason why this try that in a small town is is on the left's poopy list is because it tries to further uh inculcate in the minds of people across the country that you can't do that in a small town because we're not like you people in the in the cities. We're not like the people in the cities who just mindlessly go about doing their doing what the government tells them to do. Uh, okay, you say we can't have guns, we won't have guns. You say we got to get COVID shots, we'll get the COVID shots. You say we can't, uh, you know, go to church and sing, we won't go to church and sing. In rural America, they don't they don't put up with that, and this is this is the main problem with the uh, try that in a small town. So that's 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 what's going on with Jason Aldi. Now this other thing, a corollary to that, is what's going on with this this uh, this movie uh, by um, what is it? Angel Studios. Where's my paper here? Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom is a a movie against uh, child trafficking. And so basically, I would think that most people can agree that child trafficking is a bad thing, but if you read any of the reviews from the uh, corporate media about Sound of Freedom, it's actually not a good thing because corporate, I'm sorry, Sound of Freedom in the minds of the corporate 
corporate press is tied to, here it is, QAnon. And QAnon is tied to MAGA. And MAGAs are tried to, tied to Trump. And so you can easily follow the line of evil from uh, Sound of Freedom, which is about child trafficking and raising awareness about child trafficking, all the way back to Trump, who is the ultimate evil. But so, so they have this columnist who was trashing Sound of Freedom. And it comes out, turns out this guy who was trashing Sound of Freedom, this is from OutKick. It says, Washington Post, Bloomberg, call upon pedophile advocate to discredit Sound of Freedom. It says, Bloomberg invited an outside columnist to pin a review, to pin a review of Sound of Freedom, a film raising awareness of child trafficking. Who is a columnist? A man named Noah Berlatsky. Berlatsky is a former spokesperson for Protasia, a, pedis, a, pedophile, a pedophile advocacy group. The pedophile advocate abhors Sound of Freedom, and he made it known in, an, in the article titled, titled QAnon and Sound of Freedom. Both rely on tired Hollywood tropes. Berlatsky assailed the success of the film, recording over 50 million receipts at the box office. It's since gone to 100 million. Uh, many critics have criticized, have linked Sound of Freedom to the pro-Trump QAnon conspiracy cult. This is from the, the review. They've also been startled by its mainstream success. But the truth is that the conspiratorial right and the Hollywood default aren't that different. Which is why perhaps our polity has such difficulty rejecting QAnon, Trump, and fascism. The film is controversial because the man the movie is about, former Homeland Security operative Tim Ballard, and the actor who portrays him, Jim Caviezel, both have links to QAnon, writes Berlatsky. Ballard has promoted the baseless claim that furniture retailer Wayfair was involved in child trafficking. Caviezel has spoken at multiple QAnon events. In an interview with former Trump advisor Steve Bannon, he promoted one of the cult's most outrageous conspiracy theories, claiming that child traffickers drain their victims' blood to create a serum to prevent aging. Oh. It says, consider that the Washington Post reprinted the op-ed endorsing the pedophile advocate. Consider that the Washington Post reprinted the op-ed endorsing the pedophile advocate. Just how much of a creep is Berlatsky? According to a screenshot he tweeted in 2017 that, quote, pedophiles are essentially a stigmatized group. Certain people get designated as deviants. People hate them. The issue isn't that people care about the victims. The issue is that pedophiles are loathed, Berlatsky added. And then it says here, um, in addition to his defense of pedophiles, Berlatsky argues parents have too much control in protecting their children. Parents are tyrants. Parent is an oppressive class, like rich people or white people. These are things you have to do to minimize the abuse that's endemic to the parent-child relationship, but it's always there. So this guy was a uh, spokesperson for this group, Protasia, which is a pedophile advocacy group. So you wonder, you know, how does it that the left is always tied into these bizarre things like hatred of child trafficking? It's, it's, a, it's the strangest thing when you look at this, uh, I guess you call it a mind virus, woke mind virus, and you, and you try to figure out what is there so bad about child trafficking, um, people who are against child trafficking, but then you go to this guy Berlatsky and suddenly you understand, well, it's because parents are tyrants and parents have too much control of their lives and that pedophiles are stigmatized, and I assume in his mind, wrongly. Um, this is what, this is the same thing with this, uh, Jason Aldean thing. So in this, in the big cities, people understand that 
pedophiles are minor attracted people. They're not, they're not pedophiles. People understand that you're supposed to uh, basically uh, follow the dictates of anything that the government tells you. And in the smaller cities, people think pedophiles should not be uh, around children. Pedophiles should not be reading to children. And pedophiles certainly should be punished by the law. So this is where you get to that left-right uh, disconnect. And the disconnect exists largely in the media because the media is there to promote this disconnect because if you were to go about your business and, and go to your normal everyday life experiences, you would find very few people who also believe what uh, this guy uh, Berlatsky believes about uh, pedophiles being stigmatized. He, you would find most people think pedophiles should be stigmatized. Most people think that pedophiles are evil. Most people think that pedophiles should be uh, uh, excommunicated from society, essentially. You would find that most people think that rioting's e- that rioting's wrong, that you shouldn't be forced to uh, be surrounded by people who are rioting because they agree they don't agree with something politically that happened. But the role of the media is to make you feel that that is not the case. The role of the media is to make you feel like you, in fact, are the minority. It's a whole gaslighting thing. It's, it's, it's gaslighting you to believe that the things that you believe are crazy. The things that you believe are wrong and that, that you're a minority. And that's why Rush Limbaugh said that he was so successful is because he said things that people all most people believed in, but they didn't know anybody else out there thought the way they thought. And he was able to show them, yes, there are some people out there that, that think you're that think the same way you do. This is from Hat Tip to Conservative Review. Uh, they linked to this article on Eventbrite. I'm sorry, The Federalist about Eventbrite. So Eventbrite's this online thing where you can go. We used to use Eventbrite to sponsor events, whatever, meet and greets, whatever you say. But Eventbrite's this online thing where you can say, look, I'm having an event. Somebody come by. It's free. Uh, to use Eventbrite, and uh, you can just promote your event. Well, here it is from a Federalist. Eventbrite nukes events promoting child protection as, quote, hateful. Online ticketing platform Eventbrite recently unpublished two events from Purple for Parents Indiana, an organization fighting to protect children from indoctrination and sexualization in schools. The first event, RSVP America, Restoring Social Virtue and Purity to America, exposes the history and agenda behind laws allowing children to be sexualized in schools. Miller said her group used Eventbrite to sell tickets for a previously RSVP America conference. It says Eventbrite's decision to unpublish the upcoming conference followed a July 11th Reddit post on the Reddit Indiana subreddit asking people to, quote, report a uh, hate group event. The registered hate group Purple for Parents is hosting an event, the post read. Check out their Eventbrite site and report it. The user included a link and more than 20 users confirmed in comments or replies on the post that they had reported the events, the event to Eventbrite. It says on July 18th, Miller received an email from Eventbrite trust and safety, notifying her the event had been unpublished. We have determined your event is not permitted on the Eventbrite Eventbrite platform as it violates our community guidelines in terms of service, specifically our policy on hateful, dangerous or violent content and events. According to Eventbrite's community guidelines, this type of content includes hate speech, hateful ideologies, and hateful activities that incite, encourage, or engage in violence, intimidation, disparagement, harassment, or threats. And so, again, this was uh, RSVP America, Restoring Social Virtue and Purity to America. 
exposes the history and agenda behind laws allowing children to be sexualized in schools. And in the mind of Eventbrite, this is uh, effectively wrong think and hate speech. It says Eventbrite, this is from the article again, Eventbrite's political activism, according to its 2022 corporate responsibility report, included advocating for abortion, federal gun restrictions, and codification of same-sex marriage. Eventbrite previously unpublished other conservative events, including a screening of Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? But there you go. But like I said, corporate media is part of or corporate corporate America is part of it. You know, go back to the Bud Light thing. You know, they, corporate America, media, every they exist to make you feel marginalized if you're not of the left mind. If you're not, if you're not liberal slash leftist, hopefully more leftist than liberal. But if you're at least not liberal, then the corporate media is there to make you feel like you are a voice in the wilderness. You're not part of any kind of group that's, you know, very large. You're just there to. Uh, you're kind of an oddball and you need to get with the program, you know, and, and the, got this article here on, uh, this is from a uh, post millennial. This is again, this is the left. This is what, this is what happened. If you read this, you think, well, this is crazy. This, this, this is insanity, but this is what the, the media is trying to make you think this is not insane. Okay, this is a post-millennial. Baby-killing trans death row inmate in California's women's prison to get boob job funded by taxpayers. A man who beat two of his own infants to death is now allegedly waiting on breast implants after his transfer to a California women's prison. Jessica Marie Hahn, who went by Jason Michael Mann previously, started identifying as a woman in 2019 as reported by Redux. Hans previous, Han's previous arrest came after he admitted to killing two of his children once they were born. Their bodies were found 1,500 miles apart f- from each other in separate storage units. The remains of his 10-week-old daughter were placed in a blue Tupperware-type container inside a unit in Arkansas. Han had hit his daughter over the head, breaking her skull in 2001. Prior to the murder of his daughter, Han had killed his one-year-old, one-month-old son, He was facing 30 years on this charge in 1999. He was moved to death row after his conviction for the killings in 2013. His girlfriend, Chrissy Wernz, also took part in the killing of the daughter and was put in the Central Women's uh, Facility. In 2019, he started identifying as a woman while on death row and was transferred to the general women's population in 2020 after an observational period. However, with legislation from an executive order from Governor Gatham Newsom, the death penalty has been suspended. Han is now awaiting breast augmentation subsidized by taxpayers. Uh, a women's advocate, Amy Ichawawa, Ichikawa, spoke to Redux and heard their report about the case. She is the founder of Women to Women, Women, Roman numeral two, Women, an organization that represents incarcerated women's rights. Ichikawa explained her concerns, saying, quote, Incarcerated women have been overlooked and forcibly made to be the losers of every political game possible when legislators need to dump a problem or sweep something under the rug out of the public's eye. Ichikawa says that women in prison are quietly watching themselves being erased while men who have penises 
Get facial feminization surgeries, laser hair removal, Adam's apple reductions, all paid for with your tax dollars. So this is a case of a woman who recognizes that these quote unquote women are abusing the system, but abusing so with the full support of the government, in this case, the People's Republic of California and its comrade Gavin Newsom, who have made it possible for this person not only not to face the death penalty for killing two infants, but also to have breast implant surgery done with taxpayer dollars. There you go. There you go, my friends. Oh, boy. This is an article from The Federalist 2. This is Hat Tip Conservative Review. It says, Laptop class fetish for hard labor is just an effort to justify privilege. This is from uh, Hannah Spire. It says, The laptop class maintains a mental barricading, mental barricade separating them from those responsible for the actual infrastructure of our world. As a psychiatrist, you can often step out of the bubble you find yourself in. I worked for many years in the rural areas and spent a significant number of hours discussing the emotional lives of male and female blue-collar workers. That was when I learned most of our patients don't have psychological problems. They have life problems. And how they felt about their professions and their work was an irredactable pathogen, causing something like a blister that is never allowed to hear, allowed to heal. Uh, in my current bubble... I'm sorry, in my current bubble as a affluent leftist, in my current bubble and affluent leftist environment, almost everyone belongs to the quote laptop class. They are the ones who can work from anywhere, negotiate comfortable, flexible home, home office structures where they can interact only with fellow white collar workers. They think climate change is the worst threat to us and they release a suffering sigh at the barista when they don't serve oat milk. According to Mark Andreessen, they are best described as quote, Western upper middle class professionals who work through a screen and are totally abstracted from tangible physical reality and the real world consequences of their opinions and beliefs. And she goes on the article to talk about how people's uh, fascination with things like taxation, increasing taxes and, and, and then uh, green green regulations make life worse for people who work in these uh, physical fields like uh oil rigs, uh, working in mines and things. Uh, and these people who are in this laptop class are isolated from that because they don't have any interaction with that. But I think that laptop class extends out to these people too who probably see this thing with the, um, you know, with, with the sexualization of children, these breast implants for the, the child killer. When you have a laptop class, and they don't really have these types of things in their lives. Like they said, their big thing in life is when the barista doesn't have oat milk. Oat milk, it allows you, enables you to have feelings and comp- compassion for things that a normal person wouldn't. So back to the <clears throat> article about here, you know, these blue-collar workers, their effect, it says here, the other day I was arguing against affirmative action and equality measures with laptop class friends in my attempt to explain to them how blue-collar workers are affected by, for instance, the taxation policies needed to provide the things they were calling for. I tried to inspiring empathy empathy for these workers. I described the hardships my parents experienced in their, in their desire for another life. How they grinned and bore work conditions that would never fly in a corporate setting. The unfair wages that increased despite seniority, that barely increased despite seniority. 
tedious repetitive tasks that grated on nerves and gave chronic aches in young bodies. I told them how the women I treated for depression and insomnia after years of working double shifts or sometimes two jobs in the service industries or retail saw an immediate improvement with sick leave because they were really long. What they really longed for was serving their families, not customers. I told them of the offshore uh, oil rig worker I, I saw when working in the north of Norway with tendonitis, chemical burns, and hearing loss. And it says, I crashed headfirst into a new and disturbing attitude. The stories I told bounced off them what can only bounced off what can only be seen as a mental barricade. The women retorted, I also worked a menial job as a student and I liked it. There's nothing wrong with the kind of work with that kind of work. And if you're saying that they don't they that they only and if you're saying that they don't want that work only goes to show how judgmental you are. And the most reality blind of it all, maybe they're just doing what they're interested in. So this laptop class has never experienced the type of work these people talk about. Just like the laptop class is free to worry about climate change, they're also free to worry about, well, what if it what if it is a trans killer? You know, maybe they shouldn't get the death penalty and maybe they shouldn't uh, be not able to get their breast implants paid for and maybe cry a free or maybe sound a freedom. Maybe that is unfairly uh, calling out pedophiles. And so it allows you it's on two levels there. The left operates on two levels. They they operate on this level where you have these social elites who have basically never gotten dirt under their fingernails or never had um, to get down into the blue collar work like this person talked about or never had to really suffer. So they, they live on the bi-coastal areas and they, uh, they go to Harvard or they don't go to Harvard. They at least go to college and they're educated about oppression and they're educated about patriarchy and they're educated about white supremacy and so they learn that that's that's what America is about. And then them as the intellectual elites, they have to be the ones to like guide us out of this backwardness. On the other hand, they also need this group that is constantly in a state of turmoil from economic poverty and spiritual poverty. And that's the urban inner cities. And like this article talks about, those cities are the ones that suffer from their own policies. So it's kind of this perpetuating cycle where these elites enact these policies that hurt poor people and also hurt uh, you know, minorities, which they claim to be the, the champions of. And, but they don't even realize it, or if they do realize it, they're never going to admit it. And at the same time, who gets cut out of the whole situation? In their mind, that would be beneficial if we were cut out of it. The small urban area or small rural towns, you know, suburban towns, the ones that are in Jason Aldean's America, where they recognize the idiocy of this. They see what you and I are talking about and they see the obvious um, contra- contradictions in their, the, the way that they're going about it. The elites imposing things that are making it life worse for the people they claim to be in favor of the downtrodden. And that's why, again, back to the small towns uh, idea that Jason Aldean's promoting, that's why small towns and anything promoting small towns must be eliminated because we cannot have small town values. Small town values go against big town values, go against people who are in the laptop class. It's all intertwined and it's hard to figure out because at first it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Why would someone be against cry of, or uh, why would be anybody get be against sound of freedom? Uh, a movie about sexual predators. And you just have, it just doesn't make any sense. 
it doesn't make any sense, but it makes sense if you think about it in the terms of the way the left organizes their hierarchy of life. This is from, all right, so this is COVID news. This is a, this is a proximal origin. So the proximal origin was this idea that the COVID pandemic spread from a bat. And so this was something that was promoted by the intelligentsia amongst us, including Dr. Fauci. And this is from Hot Air. It says, retract, retract proximal origin. No, says the Nature Medicine Editor. So this proximal origin article was written by all these experts saying that this COVID virus definitely did not come from a lab leak. It came from nature. And it has all the hallmarks of coming from nature. And anything to the contrary is crazy. And they use this as a justification for... Uh, basically isolating Dr. Fauci from any type of um, uh, any type of responsibility for the outbreak and especially isolating the government from any type of uh, responsibility and particularly the Chinese government. But now the, these editors of the Nature Magazine, uh, Nature Medicine, are saying that, no, it wasn't an article about uh, authoritative. It wasn't an authoritative piece. This was just an opinion piece. That's what the uh, editor is now saying. So this is, uh, it says here, there is now a near consensus that at very least a lab leak is quite plausible, which has raised the question, why hasn't Nature Medicine, the journal that published the paper that spawned a million censorships, looked into retracting the paper given its clear contradiction with both reality and with the now apparent opinions of the authors that wrote the paper. Now they're saying this opinions of the authors because the authors' opinions came out in uh, some some messages that were written. This was secret messages. This is what one of the authors wrote. It says we now have contemporaneous Slack messages and emails where the not where the authors not only expressed doubts about what they were writing was true, but that they. Prove that they, but prove that they thought that the claim they were making that COVID virus that COVID arose naturally without human interference, and that spread from an animal to a human being via natural processes was likely not true. For instance, the highest profile author author of the paper, Christian Anderson, wrote to this wrote this to a colleague during editing of the paper. So they're writing this paper, and uh, this is what this is what they were writing to themselves while they were writing a paper that said. Look, this this virus definitely came from nature. Anderson wrote that the main issue is that the accidental release, in fact, is in fact highly likely. It's not some fringe theory. I absolutely agree that we can't prove one way or the other, but we will never be able to. Uh, absolutely agree that we can't prove one way or the other, but we never will be able to. However, that doesn't mean that by default, the data is currently much more suggestive of a natural origin as opposed to passage is not. The Furage cleavage site is very hard to explain, referring to a feature of the virus that has uh, concerned the virus at the time. So there's this cleavage site, which is where they made the virus, which makes it look like it was made, man-made. And they're saying that this cleavage site is hard to explain. And they're saying that the, 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 the default data is more suggestive of a natural origin 
I'm sorry, the, the default data doesn't necessarily mean that the, uh, vi- the, the the virus is suggestive of a natural origin. In fact, it shows that it's probably not. But at the same time, they wrote this article. And so this is the same article that Dr. Fauci used to say, look, if you're arguing with me, you're arguing with science because I am science. And so what did he say here? He says, there is now near consensus. Okay. Uh, is the paper, if the papers, if the author is lied in the paper, shouldn't it be retracted? No, because nature medicine is now rewriting history. The editor now claims the paper paper wasn't research at all, but an expression of an opinion. Now, where do we hear that from? What does that sound like? Does that not sound like the laptop, uh, is, uh, Russian disinformation letter? Is that not what it sounds like? And who promoted that to, uh, a group of experts promoted, prompted by who? Uh, Anthony Blinken. So here we have Dr. Fauci. It says a scientific paper, Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2, which was commissioned by Anthony Fauci in order to debunk the lab leery the- the- lab leery uh, lab leak theory of COVID's origins, has been essentially debunked. De- debunked. So Co- Fauci commissioned this Proximal Origin uh, paper, even though he says he didn't. It says. Uh, it says the paper is a bunch of propaganda written at the behest of the government by pliable scientists who depended on Fauci for funding. So Fauci uh, either, I don't know if they have any emails about him directly saying this, but Fauci basically uh, commissioned this paper to be written much the same way Anthony Blinken commissioned the other paper to be written about Hunter Biden's laptop being Russian disinformation here. Dr. Fauci is apparently commissioning these guys to write a paper saying, look, the lab leak theory is bogus. This came from nature. And it says here, the editor now claims the paper wasn't researched at all, but an expression of an opinion, just like the uh, Hunter Biden is Russian disinformation uh, letter. They said that was, you know, first they said, look, it's disinformation. That's the reason that people were censored. That's the reason that it wasn't allowed to be spread on Twitter because it was uh, Russian disinformation. And now there's studies showing, I don't know if it's true or not, polls showing that if people realize that it was really true, that maybe Biden wouldn't have won the election. I don't know if that's true or not. But now they're saying, look, it's just a point of view. It's the same thing they said before. This is, in, uh, this is from uh, Jeff Carlson on Twitter. He says, Chief editor of Nature Magazine on Proximal Origin at Publication. In March of, 22, uh, March of 2020, it says, let's put conspiracy theories about the origin of SARS-CoV-2 to rest and help stop the spread of misinformation. That was the editor of Nature Magazine in March of 2020. And it says, regarding retraction, this is July of 2023 now, it was simply intended to present a point of view. Yeah, this is the same thing. Like I said, all this talk about disinformation is coming from the government. The government is the one in charge of disinformation. This goes back to the thing, though. People in the laptop class don't understand this at all, what I just read. The laptop class says SARS came from uh, the the, the, uh, COVID virus came from nature because of the, the paper proximal origin of uh, SARS-CoV-2 said it came from nature. I'm sorry. Yeah, it came from nature and did not come from a lab leak. And uh, Dr. Fauci is a really smart guy. And that's it. That's, that's as far as it gets in the minds of the uh, uh, laptop class. 
You know, they cannot think outside the box. Now, people in rural America, Jason Aldean's try that in a small town America. If you told them this, they would say that makes perfect sense. Even if they didn't know of it, they would say that makes perfect sense. And they would also say, well, isn't that the same thing they did with the uh, laptop? And you'd say, yes, that is. And they'd say it that way because they're in flyover country. And you see flyover country people are stupid and they talk with southern accents because all people who talk with southern accents are stupid to the laptop class. So if you present this stuff to them, that, that's what they're going to understand. And that's the reason you have to get rid of the uh, the small town uh, thinking because they, challenge, they, they, they don't necessarily go along exactly the way that you're supposed to go along according to the elites. Couple of crime updates. First, I want to go over this. Uh, this is a little Florida update. This is from PJ Media. It says the five states sending the most high earners to Florida all have this one thing in common. The Florida Chamber of Commerce may have a message for the five states sending the most high earners to Sunshine State, even if it's a sh- sure thing they'll never listen. Um, it's one thing to read dry news reports about how residents of states like New York and California have been losing residents to Ron DeSantis, Florida, despite the cries of killer from the left in the media. But I repeat myself, Florida is one of the first states to fully end the idiotic COVID-19 lockdowns. Between that, no personal income tax, low regulation of schools that are being drop kicked back into teaching by the three R's into teaching the three R's writing, arithmetic and reading. Uh, Florida has been attracting new residents like iron filings to a magnet. But it's another thing to put those numbers in dollar terms because everybody, particularly the greedy tax collectors in places like Albany and Sacramento, love their greenbacks. So those dry new reports come a, a, become a lot more exciting when we look at just how much income has made its way to the Sunshine State. So the Florida Department of Commerce has published this. And uh, this is what they uh, says. uh, done this with its business and economic mid-year report covering the period from July 21st to June 22nd. It's safe to say things haven't changed much in the last 12 months, but we'll have to wait till the data is collected. So here's what it says. Of the people who have, it says, believe it or not, former residents of just five states make up more than half of the income that's headed south, not for the winter, but practically forever. They are New York with 9.8 billion, in income that left from uh, New York, Illinois, 3.9 billion in income, New Jersey, 3.8 billion in income, California, 3.5 billion in income, and Pennsylvania, 1.9 billion in income. It says here, here's the shocker. Each of those states is ruled completely by Democrats. The governor's office and both sides of each state assembly are dominated by Dems. There are barely any statewide GOP elected officials in any of those states. Five total with none of the with none at all in New York or New Jersey. Democrats. Five total with none at all in New York or New Jersey. So no in those five states, there's only five total statewide elected uh, government officials who are from the GOP. And none in New York or New Jersey. Dang. Twenty three billion dollars. Says uh, message to uh, the message is stop electing Democrats. It will likely fall on deaf ears, however, because there's some self-reinforcing death spiral going on in our bottom five deep blue states. DeSantis noted a while back that his state's new residents were largely registering Republican. So if Florida gets redder, those Democrat states uh, get bluer. So that's another idea. So it's one thing to attract money from California, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, uh, Pennsylvania. 
But it's another thing when you're attracting people who are uh, Republicans, conservatives, because presumably they'll move down here and vote the same way that they have been voting, which is not for the left. And then the people who are left there are going to continue to vote for the left. And the left, like he says here, is uh, reinforcing the death spiral. So the people who are left there, they've lost, they've lost income, which means they've lost taxes. And then they're going to continue to vote for more and more and more stuff. They're going to continue to vote for breast implants for uh, trans infant killers. They're going to vote for, uh, you know, undocumented immigrants to have full, uh, full ability to move about the city uh, getting all kinds of welfare benefits and in some cases getting driver's licenses. They're going to vote for uh, you know bigger taxes to fight climate change in their state. Does it make any sense to fight climate change in your state by big taxes? Honestly, California is supposed to be uh, going to all electric to fight climate change. How the hell does that help you fight climate change in your state if the other states aren't doing it? All it does is do is impoverish your 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 citizens by forcing them to buy more expensive, less efficient vehicles. It's the same idea as why would you enforce climate change in your, your country? Sound of Freedom is outgrossing Mission Impossible. This is from July 24th. This is from Breitbart and John Nolte. After three weekends in, three weekends in release, Sound of Freedom outgrossed Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1's second weekend in release. 20.1 million compared to 19.5 billion million. Even more incredible is the fact Sound of Freedom accomplished that in more than in, in, in more than a thousand fewer seats. Thirty two eighty five compared to forty three twenty one. So they have a thousand fewer seats and they got more money. So that means that they, they like to do the uh amount per screen. So that means the amount per screen has got to be really high. Oh here it is. Sound of Freedom's per screen average clocked in at sixty six sixty one hundred dollars. To Dead Reckoning's $4,500. Now, this is Dead Reckoning is not a woke movie. It's a Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise. It's not a woke movie. So unlike a lot of the failures that you see uh, Sound of Freedom beating, Mission Impossible is not a woke movie. So this doesn't necessarily, this is not to criticize uh, Mission Impossible necessarily. It's to say Sound of Freedom is doing that well. That's what Fox News, someone wrote, figured out a long time ago, uh, Roger Ailes figured out 30 de- three decades ago, 30 years ago, that there was 50% of America that wasn't being talked to. And he thought, let's not make another left-wing news network. Do we already have CNN? We already have MSNBC. And even if they weren't as left-wing as they are then, which they weren't, they were left, essentially. They, they, they promoted the mainstream left narrative and that's the only narrative that you got and so fox news came out and they said we're fair and balanced and they were said well they're conservative really fox news their opinions guys were conservative but i don't think that fox news was conservative in in the fact it wasn't like turning on you know rush limbaugh or anything you know it was fox news was not left but when you're in a environment that is all left anything that's a little bit you know to the right of mal seems like it's conservative but that's what the Sound of Freedom's doing is, you know, people said, like I said, that Jason Aldean's America, people said, I want a movie that's uplifting about catching child predators and letting children get out of the grips of child predators. 
And no, the laptop class says, no, 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 no. That's a bad movie because it demonizes pedophiles. Nobody thinks like that. Not normal Americans. No normal American thinks like that. No normal American thinks like that. You have to be gaslit into thinking like that. And and if you live in a bubble in New York City and you're otherwise a normal American, but now you go live in a bubble, over time your your mind becomes so, uh, I don't know, bombarded by the left that it becomes where you do start to think like that. But no normal person thinks that a movie that uh, gets gets the bad guy and the bad guy's a pedophile is a bad movie. But yeah, so if Sound of Freedom is outgrossing Mission Impossible, but it's also, out, out, this is, a, it says, at the domestic box office, Sound of Freedom is positioned to outgross Transformers, Rise of the Beast, Fast X, which is Fast and Furious 10, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, it has already topped The Flash, Scream 7, 5, no, 6, Scream 6, Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and a host of others, and is outgrossing Dead Reckoning, and Indiana Jones and the dial of Kathleen Kennedy needs to be fired. That's what he called it. Kathleen, uh, Kathleen Kennedy is the head of uh, Lucasfilms. So it's outgrossed Indiana Jones movie and Dead Reckoning. So this thing is is really, really doing well. It says here, I've always believed there would be a big audience waiting for Sound of Freedom to come along. The hundred million or so of us ho- of the hundred million or so of us, Hollywood seeks to insult and demean. That means that's who, who was waiting for it. The Passion of Christ proved that nearly 20 years ago, which was also really hated by the left. The secret sauce is quality. You can't just slap a Christian or conservative label on something and expect us to dutifully show up. American, American Sniper, we're there. Top Gun Maverick, we're there. Sound of Freedom, we're there. Oh, here, here, here's the one that wrote this. Three decades ago, Roger Ailes figured out, figured out that Fox News was not serving 50% of the public, which meant there were billions and billions of dollars just sitting around to be scooped up. He scooped them up. Today, it's the same with entertainment. It has been for two decades. So, that's reassuring. The only thing that's not reassuring is if you turn on the news, is like what the government's doing, what corporate America's doing, what's going on in, uh, you know, Department of Justice. Mm, what else here? Oh, this is a, a crime update. This is from uh, Breitbart. Remember, uh, what's her name? What was this lady's name? Oregon's governor. What's her name? Brown. That's her name. So it says here, police suspect... Suspected Portland serial killer was released from prison early by former Oregon governor. An Oregon prisoner released early for good behavior is suspected serial killer linked to bodies of four women, four women found in the greater Portland area from February to May this year. Uh, this person, it doesn't matter their name, was arrested June 6th for parole violation and has not been charged with any of the deaths. He attempted to evade police police by jumping into the Williamette River in Milwaukee. Over the course of four months, the Oregon reported the bodies of six women were found. Uh, Authorities found an unidentified body on 24. Okay. At first, Portland police released a statement saying there was no reason to believe these cases were related to each other. It says, uh, this person's expected release date after 20%. This person's expected police release date after 20% 
percent reduction due to good behavior was set to be June 30th, 2022. However, Governor Katie Brown shortened his sentence by 11 months after he assisted in fighting wildfires and was released on July 22nd. He was among more than 1,000 inmates who received clemency for the former governor as part of her pandemic-era criminal justice reform. I am horrified for the victims, their families, and those who have experienced this loss, Brown said in a statement. So it says he's not been charged with any of these deaths, but he's suspected. And he's arrested for a parole violation. So I guess he's in prison now for a parole violation. Oregon Governor Tina Kotek has since revoked Calhoun's commutation. She was one. She was she took the took the baton from uh, Governor Brown and, and did even more um, prison stuff. I think, if I remember correctly, or maybe that was the Arizona governor. I can't remember. It's hard to keep these Democrat governors straight. They're all into the same stuff, letting prisoners on the streets to terrorize Americans. This is uh, Breitbart from John Nolte. Breitbart. Mayor Johnson pledges to doom Chicago by re-envisioning police. Uh, Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson has pledged to doom his city with reforms that will, quote, re-envision the role of a police officer. Now it's obvious the people of police believed former Mayor Lightfoot was too heavy on criminals, even as violent crime exploded over the last few years. Murder is up 19%, robbery is up 23%, theft is up 45%, and car theft is up 235%. Overall, serious crime in Chicago is a whopping 88% up in two years. Uh, According to the mayor's just-released transition report, a good thing is about to happen. Chicago's voters are about to get plenty of what they voted for. To begin with, and right here it is on page 157, the the mayor intends to use, quote, Non-Chicago Police Department positions to address non-violent calls. Yes, because these kind of calls never escalate, Nolte writes. It says, the mayor intends to re-envision the role of a police officer. Police will now ensure public safety by, quote, meeting the needs of peoples of their communities. Does this mean police officers will pick up groceries and wait between noon and four o'clock for the cable guy? Who knows? But almost certainly this means social work, which is the last thing a police officer should be doing. And it says here, uh, and now we get to the very thing that ensures Chicago is doomed. Mayor Dystopia intends to end the gang database. Without the database, police officers will no longer be able to quickly identify those they are dealing with. This 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 can make all the difference when it comes to officer safety. More importantly, it allows the officer to better handle discretion decisions. Police enjoy an enormous amount of discretion. They can decide whether you give you a break or not. I've gotten tickets for speeding. I've gotten official warnings. I've gotten watch your speed. Have a nice day. Obviously, there's a big difference between a citizen who gets in a fight with a gang member and a a citizen who gets in a fight and a gang member who gets in a fight. Without the database, the police cannot use his best discretion. Do you let the guy go or take him in? So good luck, Chicagoans. It will be hell for you. Did you guys see what happened to Mitch McConnell? This is Mitch McConnell. I just want to play this. Uh, This was yesterday, I think. Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell was talking. He's 80. I think he's 81. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Here's a video. Uh, We're on a path to finishing the NDA uh, this week. It's been good bipartisan cooperation. One. And a string of... uh, One, two, three, four, five... Six, seven, eight, nine, 
10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. So that whole time that I was counting, Mitch McConnell was staring blankly off to the right. And some people are thinking that he had a TIA or a seizure, an absent seizure, partial seizure. I don't know what he had, but this is further indication that there needs to be term limits. These people have no business being in Washington uh, for 40, 50, 30 years even. Uh, so, you know, hope he's better. He actually came back afterwards and said, you know, I'm fine, everything else like that. And they asked me if he's going to go see the doctor. But whatever happened to him, he did it for 30 seconds there nearly. It was just staring blankly into space. That's not a good situation uh, for him, but he doesn't need to be in, in Washington anymore. He needs to be at home with his grandkids or whatever he wants to do in retirement. All these guys standing around, none of them need to be in Washington um, for that long. That's what causes corruption. That's what causes people to uh, become entrenched. That's what causes the deep state. And that's, that's a very uh, just – Verbal, or I'm sorry, a uh, visual reminder of what happens when a politician stays in town too long. They become to the point of where they're incapacitated. Look at Joe Biden. And um, he doesn't need to be there that long. Um, but uh, like I said, it looks like he had a, a TIA or a partial seizure. He had a concussion. He fell down and hit his head. This was a few months ago and was out of commission for a long time. There needs to be a term limit. My father had an idea that they should be allowed to have 12 years in, in, in uh, Congress. You can use however you want. You can get 12 years as two terms as Senate, or if you want to do six terms as a, as a congressman, or if you want to mix it a little bit, mix it up a little bit and do one term as a senator and then three terms as a congressman, whatever you want to do, you get 12 years. And then after that, you're out of there. We have term limits for the president. We should have term limits for Congress people. That would do a little bit toward ending the uh the uh, the raping of of uh, the uh, taxpayer. Here's this article here from Just the News. Feds borrowing over five billion per day as programs face insolvency. It says here, uh, where is it? Three quarters into the fiscal year, and we're borrowing astounding five point one billion dollars per day," said Maya McGinnis, president of the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget. Five billion dollars a day. That's a lot of money. And that's borrowing. Uh, the CRFB, the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget, said by 2051, spending on interest will be the single largest line in the federal budget, surpassing Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, and all mandatory and discretionary spending programs. McGinnis also said trust funds for Medicare, Social Security, and highways will face insolvency within a decade. I don't know about the highways, but the Medicare and Social Security trust funds do not exist there is no money in any trust fund. They are full of IOUs. I added that part. The federal government has borrowed $2 trillion over the past 12 months. That's $63,000 per second, said Representative David Swikert of Arizona. It's delusional to think our debt doesn't matter when Americans working, America's working class suffers the consequences. Um, they don't need a balanced budget amendment. I've heard some people say that. We need a federal spending limit, and it can be tied to the GDP. This was Milton Friedman's idea, and I believe it was also Walter Williams' idea. You need to have a spending limit. If you're not going to do things constitutionally, 
which it seems like that cat is out of the bag. Social Security is not constitutional. Medicare is not constitutional. Medicaid is not constitutional. No federal welfare program is constitutional because it doesn't promote the general welfare. But anyway, if we're going to have those programs, you have to impose some type of limit, and it's got to be a spending limit, not a balanced budget amendment, because all that would do is give the government free reign to raise your taxes to whatever they want, because they say, look, our spending is as much. We need this much money. We're going to raise your taxes. That'd be the worst thing. Anyway, that's it for us this week. Join us on drtommy.com slash podcast. Uh, listen on any of the podcasting platforms and also video on Rumble Live. Come see us in the office if you want to learn about our practice. Until next time, have a good day. Bye-bye.